church family. Welcome, welcome. I invite you, if you're able, to stand with us this morning as we worship the Lord together.
what the name of Jesus is to you today. He's worthy, but he might be a healer. He might be your deliverer. He might be your peace. He might be your joy. In the midst of whatever you've been going through, just take a moment and lift up that name. Who is Jesus to you today? Who is he to you? Your healer, God. Amen. Good morning, New Life Downtown. Today, we're going to take some time to pray over all those going back to school. So if you are a teacher, you're an educator, you're a student, you're a college student, you are a homeschool, um, you're homeschooling with your kids, um, you're a coach, we want to take some time to pray over you and bless you today. Because I, I acknowledge that there's a lot of anxiety um, that happens when we go back to school. For teachers, you see the names on your roster and you're like, man, some of these kids are going to require some extra patience, right? right? Or even just like anxiety of pronouncing names on the first day, right? Um, or a student, you're, you're wondering how classes, who's going to be in my classes? Who am I going to connect with? For parents, is, is my kid going to be okay, right? And so we want to pray over all of those things today. So if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, you're an administrator, a principal, a coach, if you're a college student, you're going back to grad school, if you're a homeschool family, would you just raise your hand? We want to pray over you today. And so if you see one of these um, people with their hand raised, would you just put a hand on one of them? We recognize that um, one of the primary metaphors that the Gospels use for our relationship with Jesus is that of student and rabbi. And so some of the most formative moments that happen in students and teachers and parents happen during school, during these, these learning experiences. So we're going to pray over you right now. God, we, we lift up every person in this room. Right now, I lift up our teachers. God, I pray you would bless them. God, I pray for strength and courage as they head into a new year. I pray for, for hope and joy. God, I pray for, 
um, a new sense of love for what they do. God, I pray you would, you would renew the love for what they do. You would remind them of why they got into this in the first place because it can be really easy to forget. So God, I pray for our teachers. Would you give them a special sense of your nearness this year? God, would you, would you whisper in their ear when they need to have that conversation, when they need to speak into a student's life? Would you guide their times of grading? And would you guide their times of, of teaching? God, would you bless their spouses or families if they have those? God, I pray for our administrators, uh, principals, and coaches, and people who work in the front office, and our school counselors. God, people who are often dealing with pretty difficult situations at school. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them with everything they need, all the strength they need for this year. God, I pray for every student going back, for our college students who are about to move in, for our grad students, for high school students, middle school students, elementary, go, those going to kindergarten, pre-K. God, I pray you would bless them. God, surround them with people that are on the same journey as them. God, I pray the connections would be made on that first day of school. They would see that person in class. Oh, you're in my class. God, I pray that you would just provide supernatural encounters for them this year. God, I pray for every homeschool family in this room. God, I pray that, that kitchen tables and kitchen counters would become holy spaces this year. That you would make those incredible times of formation. That you would provide them with everything they need. God, I thank you. I thank you that we get to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to do that well this year. God, we lift up every person in this room preparing for school. Would you give them peace that surpasses understanding your peace you give to them? You do not give as the world gives. God, I pray for us a, a, a special sense of peace. Would you calm anxiety? God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of those who are going back to school. Would you continue to, to remind them that you're with them and to be strong and courageous? We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Will we bless you as you go back to school? Would you take a moment just to turn and greet your neighbor?
All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you guys. My name is Jay, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at New Life Downtown. Uh, welcome to any of you who are new or newer to New Life Downtown. Uh, we'd love to know that you are here this morning. You can do that in a couple ways by uh, scanning the QR code out in the lobby or um, saying hello to someone on our welcome team. And if you do that, we got a gift for you. We'd love to just say thank you for being here this morning uh, and then follow up and love to hopefully sit down to coffee and get to know you a little bit more. Um, Church in a, in a church our size, it is imperative that we uh, keep seeking to get smaller. Um, and I'm not talking about some of you need to leave. I'm just saying that uh, we need to do things like smaller groups of community. In a group this size, it's not easy to be seen and known or see and know others on a Sunday morning for an hour uh, once a week. Uh, so we do that by doing meal groups. And we're going to be launching new meal groups in two weeks from now. Um, but we still need some people to host uh, meal groups this fall. So if you've been thinking about or considering hosting a meal group, today's the last day to sign up to host a meal group for this fall. And to do that, you get to have lunch with me, and it's going to be over at the Commons. Um, and you can just come over after the service. There's going to be a training. Uh, and you can come to say, yes, I'm here. I want to host a meal group this fall. Or if you've just kind of been interested, what do we ask of meal group leaders? You can come and sit in on the training and hear about that and make a decision um, today. So uh, if you'd like to do that, just come to the commons after the service, and we will talk more there. Um, also, uh, Celebrate Recovery is starting very soon. That's right, the 22nd. Uh, it's going to be at Nueva Vida, 6.30 p.m., uh, so less than two weeks away, a little more than a week away. Uh, if you have any questions about that, it is um, for anyone with any hurts, habits, or hang-ups. And with those three broad categories, that's pretty much everyone in the room. So Celebrate Recovery is for everybody. Uh, you can see Pastor Ken if you have more questions about that. Um, we, every service, have provide an opportunity to give of our tithes and our offerings. And so if you'd like to do that this morning as an act of worship uh, that goes to help things like celebrate recovery and help giving back to the city and pouring into the city in the name of Jesus, you can do that uh, by giving one of these four ways. It's on the screen. Um, there's a box in the back that you can mail in your offering or you can give online or through the mobile app. If you do it that way, we just ask that you select New Life Downtown in the drop-down menu. Um, and if you've been around for uh, the last few weeks at all, you've heard us praying. You've maybe been praying along or seeing on Facebook. We've been praying for Cora. as She's been in the hospital in the Jacksons. They've been uh, stuck in Wichita. They're back. We're actually going to invite them forward. And we're going to pray for them this morning in person because we've been praying for you guys. We love you. We've missed you. Uh, and it's uh, so good to see Cora here and walking. Still recovering, so don't run up and tackle her and give her a hug. Still got to be gentle, but uh, we're so glad you guys are back. We've missed you a ton. You guys uh, mean the world to this community. We love you guys as our pastors, and we trust you, and we're just so happy that you're back in person. So, Pastor David, would you mind praying for them this morning? Thank you. Could I ask you all to stand as a family of God? Stretch forth your hands as we pray for the Jacksons. It's been a rough, difficult journey. We've all had that in our own personal lives, but these are anointed and called to lead us as our shepherd. And therefore, we surround them with our prayers continuously 
that nothing, nothing will come against them to distract them, to weaken them, to discourage them. Because we know that God is with us by His Holy Spirit. He has given us the victory. So we're going to anoint them and continue to pray for miraculous healing, wisdom for the doctors, for Korah, as well as just agree with me as we pray and I leave a scripture with them for the future as they go forth leading us. Father, we just come in your name according to your word. Lord, anointing, Lord Jack, Jason, Sarah, and Cora. Lord, you have called this family, you've set them apart, and you have anointed them to lead us. And Lord, we know that as they lead us, as they continue to guide us and be there for us, giving of themselves to build us up, we know that the enemy comes in many ways either subtly or through the back door, it just comes in to disrupt, to distract, and to weaken, and to cause us go through a journey. But God, we pray that you are always there. And according to Isaiah, Lord, as you wrote Isaiah 43, I pray this over them as a church, Lord, as a protection for the days ahead as they go through this time, knowing and continue to stand with them and to encourage them and know, Lord, that you are there with them through your Holy Spirit. And we continue to pray and intercede for them, God, for their, your protection and your shield round about them, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, Lord. Nothing can touch them. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jason, Sarah, and Korah, he who formed you all, do not fear. Ah, come on. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Yeah, 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 when yeah, you pass yeah, through yeah. the waters, I will be with you. Yeah. When you pass through the rivers, you will not sweep, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I know you by name, and you are precious to me. Do not be afraid. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is life and strength unto us. As they go through these times, Lord, going through all that you're doing, Lord, and Satan is trying to come against them, you are there with them, for them, and watching over them. And I pray especially for Korah, Lord, for strength, for healing, a miracle that only you can do, God. You would continue to drain out everything that's there in her body. And Lord, they will remove the appendix, Lord, and she will be strong. And this will be, Lord, her story and a testimony of a God who has been with her, is with her, and continue to be with her. We bless them, Lord, with everything you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. We love you, Jacksons. We do that for a couple reasons. One, to pray for them, and then two, for Jason to get all his tears out so now he can make it through the sermon, hopefully. All right, yeah, go ahead and have a seat. We're going to turn to the word of the Lord now. Um, so as we do, just take a second to silence your hearts and prepare for what the Lord has for you.
Good morning. My name is Kay. I'm going to be reading Psalm 133, 0 through 3. <laughs> In the Old Testament, a pilgrimage song of David. Look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. It is like expensive oil poured over the head, running down into the beard, Aaron's beard, which extended over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew on Mount Hermon, streaming down into the mountains of Zion, because it is there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, everlasting life. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Eddie, and uh, we'll be reading from the New Testament. The reading is found in uh, Acts 4, 32 through 35. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, although, I mean, about any of their possessions but held everything in common, the apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales and placed them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Tracy. And if you are able, please stand for the gospel reading. We're reading today from John chapter 17. Verses 20 through 23. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them and you are in me so that they will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. God who speaks, would you speak to us today? Would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand? And would you open our hearts to receive all it is that you have for us today? Would you teach us and show us and help us to walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake and for ours. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Oh, it is good to be home. It is, it is so good to see you. Um, for those of you maybe who are visiting today or maybe just uh, been traveling, it was about two and a half weeks ago that our kids, our three daughters, were in Wichita with my wife's parents, uh, and we got a call uh, in the morning that Cora was sick, and by the end of the day, she was admitted into the hospital uh, with what they thought, and have confirmed at this point, was a perforated appendix. Uh, so an appendix that had perforated at some point and been leaking infection into her abdomen for an unknown amount of time. And that infection had formed into several abscesses that were uh, just infecting um, her area. So we drove through the night and ended up spending the next 12 days in the hospital with her where she had IV antibiotics and a couple of procedures to try to drain and remove the infection. Eventually, they were able to move her to an oral antibiotic, and we came home on Wednesday, uh, almost two weeks to the day later. Um, she's still fighting the infection, uh, still recovering, and still needs an appendectomy. They haven't been able to remove the appendix uh, because there's so much infection and inflammation. It hasn't been safe to go in uh, and to do that procedure. So we meet with a surgeon on uh, Tuesday here in uh, the city, and we'll get a consult then and kind of decide uh, what next step are from there. Uh, many of you have asked, like, how are you? Uh, we're tired. <laughs> and we're relieved. And we're grateful. We're really grateful um, to be home and grateful to be with you all. We deeply, deeply missed you. Suffering is isolating. It's just the nature of suffering in our lives that is incredibly isolating for all of us, whether it's a 24-hour flu that keeps you from going to work or going to a dance or being able to go on a date or spend time with a friend, whether that's the sort of quiet ache that sits inside of our hearts as we look around and think everybody has what I've, already, I've always wanted and what I've prayed for and they seem to have it, but I don't. For some reason, God hasn't answered my prayers and we carry that quiet ache around to the exhaustion that comes from chronic pain or chronic illness, to the terror or the fear that accompanies a terminal diagnosis for the loneliness that we experience when we lose a loved one, when we lose a spouse or a friend or a parent or a child, to the challenges that come when we've experienced abuse and we live our lives in a self-protective way and we're not sure whether or not it's safe to trust anyone else, to the isolation that comes when you experience natural disaster is the people in Maui are experiencing right now is we've seen the absolute devastation of the fires there in Hawaii and people being displaced from their homes and having to leave and wondering where they can go and feeling so isolated and alone in that, to the shame that comes from the addictions that we deal with, to the anger or insecurity that amount inside of us when we have unfilled or unmet expectations. There are so many types of suffering that we experience in this world and all of them tend to separate us from one another. They cause us to feel isolated and alone. And the greater or the longer or the more hidden the suffering, the greater the feeling of isolation. 
we can feel very lonely as people, even when we're surrounded by others. We can be in a room like this, filled with people, and still feel very lonely. We can feel lonely when others are suffering with us. Even when we hear stories of others who suffered like us, we can still experience a sense of isolation. I think it's because our suffering is so deeply personal. There's something individual about it in the way that it uniquely impacts us as humans. And because it's so individual, it's hard to imagine that there is a universal aspect to suffering, that all humans suffer in some way, other in significant, great, visible ways or hidden ways that become great over the course of time. And because suffering has this feeling of isolation that accompanies it, it stresses our sense of community. Suffering stresses our sense of do we belong and do we have a place and are we known and are we seen and are we loved and how do I fit and where is going on here? Sometimes that suffering, it just strains it, sort of takes our sense of community and puts it to the test. Sometimes the suffering, in the suffering, our sense of community breaks. Sometimes it proves how strong it is how sort of robust the community is around us. Sometimes it just reveals either its lack or its presence or its strength or its weakness. Whatever it is, suffering tends to magnify our own limits, our own frailties, our own faults, as well as the frailties and faults and limits of all of those that we consider ourselves in relationship with. It reveals a gap to us and beckons us the question, how are we gonna respond to that gap? How are we going to respond in those places where we don't seem to be able to contribute the way that we want or others don't seem to be meeting us in the way that we want or need or we recognize that the gap has been filled by the grace of other people and then we wonder, well, what do we do with that because it can just be so overwhelmingly good. Two weeks ago, I was planning on preaching on community. And then we found ourselves in Kansas, um, where I think there's community there, but I'm still, you know, wondering. Uh, we were supposed to today to begin a new series on First Kings, but I thought, I'm just going to save that for next week and come back to the sermon that I already wrote to be kind to myself. Um, and thinking, I think this fits from where we're at. Uh, we've been in a series in the, sur- the summer on the Psalms of Ascent, and one of the better known numbers in that collection is Psalm 133. Talks about unity and community and opens with that fantastic line that was just read for us a second ago. Look how good and pleasing or how good and pleasant it is when families live together as one. Look how good, how pleasing, how pleasant, how beautiful, how robust it is when people live together in unity. The original language uses the word brothers, but it's referring to the entire community as a sense of family that goes beyond biology, people Bringing, being brought together into the family of God. And the psalm is set as the Israelites are all gathered in Jerusalem for one of their annual pilgrimage feasts to celebrate and to sing this song. How good is this? How pleasant is this? One of the things that we started watching during the last few weeks uh, was the Netflix show, Somebody Feed Phil. Anybody else watch that at all? It's a fantastic sort of like tourism food show. 
and he had Gilbert Godfrey on in one of the episodes. And so I hear his voice every time I read this. And I don't know why. It's too iconic to repeat it. But it's like, look at this. <laughs> How good is this? Together as one. It's like I can't read it without hearing his. Was that an okay impression? It was risky to do at this point. It's like, how good? And the psalm ends, it says, because it's there in the unity of community that the Lord has commanded his blessing, everlasting life. It means so much that Jesus made it the focus of his prayer in John 15 as he was facing the cross, that we would be one. We find similar language in the early church in the book of Acts, that they were all gathered in one place with one heart and one mind, and the Spirit came and met them. When I read those kinds of passages about the early church or about Psalm 133, I'm reminded of the quote in the movie Moneyball, um, where there's this moment where Brad Pitt, he's playing the character of Billy Bean, the athletics general manager, and uh, Jonah Hill's character shows him this video of a guy hitting a home run, but he doesn't know that he hit the home run. And Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's character, finishes watching it, and he goes, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Uh, and I know that maybe I'm the only one in the room that suffers from that, uh, from that affliction, but there are a few others I know that you're out there. And I, I hear that and I go, how can you not be romantic about the church? Often we are. I am. I think it's why I got into this career. <laughs> I, I'm romantic about it. It's, it's easy, I think, to be romantic about the church, especially when we're new to faith or you're new to a community. You show up and you're like, this is it. We found it. We finally found the perfect church. I'm sorry to tell you, though. <laughs> eventually and inevitably that bubble will burst. It's going to even in great, healthy, wonderful churches, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be hurt. And hurt can become an opportunity for disillusionment. And disillusionment can be an opportunity to either lean in or to leave. To either leave that church and go find another one where you're like, no, now we finally found it. And then that bubble gets burst again or after a number of times to leave the big C church altogether. The 20th century German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful work, Life Together, called this idealism about the church the wish dream. He describes it as one of the most significant barriers to true community. He says it this way, every human wish dream that is injected into Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The wonderful thing about the scriptures is that they're not romantic about the church. They're honest <laughs> about the good and wonderful and beautiful parts of community and the, you know, other parts, <laughs> the not so good parts. Psalm 133, which we just read, is attributed to David. David reigned over a united kingdom, but two generations later, in the book we're going to read next in 1 Kings, his grandson Rehoboam led so poorly that the united kingdom ended up dividing into two. 
Just a couple of generations later, Acts chapter 4, we read that beautiful story of sacrificial generosity and care. And we're like, yes, the church is amazing. And in the next chapter, it's Ananias and Sapphira. They're selling their property, but they're holding part of it back, and they're lying about it, and they drop dead in the middle of worship. <laughs> You're like, oh, Maybe I should keep reading to get a full picture of what's going on here. The next chapter, right after that, we find that there's a complaint that's risen because there's a conflict between the Greek and Aramaic-speaking parts of the church where one group of widows is being taken care of at the expense of the other one. And they're like, wait a minute, this can't happen. Suddenly, this passage, everybody had all of their needs met. But now we find there's a group that's not. It's just two chapters later. The scriptures hold both of these images together. We can too. And we have to. Because Christianity is essentially communal. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. To follow Jesus is to be included in the family of Jesus. And our relationship with Jesus, yes, is deeply personal. But it is never private. It is lived out in the context of community. Christianity is essentially communal, and community is enormously difficult. <laughs> the church is not a homogenous community. It is fundamentally diverse. It's made up of male and female, young and old, rich and poor, black and white and brown, Republican and Democrat, and independent and even football fans. <laughs> They're all there in church. In church, our unity is in Jesus and nothing else. And that's hard because we live in a divided and divisive and tribal culture that wants to say, no, we want to make it Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus a political party. Jesus plus this perspective on this. Jesus plus a socioeconomic status. Jesus plus an educational level. Jesus plus something else. It's like, no, it's Jesus. He's our unity. And not only is it not homogenous, but the church is not a collection of perfect people. It's a collection of people who are being perfected in community by the spirits, but we're not perfect. In fact, in the church, you will encounter difficult people. You will encounter critical, self-righteous, short-tempered perfectionists who are really broken, insecure, anxious, and self-protective. And that's just the pastor. We're hard. I'm hard. And I'm an introvert, which makes it harder. <laughs> and it's harder when we're suffering. It's harder when we're going through hard times. But friends, community is worth the effort. Psalm 133 gives us two images, two ways to think about why it's worth the effort. Psalm 133 puts before us that people are like oil and water gives us these two images. The first one, Psalm 133, verse two. This community, it's, it's, it's like expensive oil poured over the head, running down onto the beard, Aaron's beard, which extended over the collar of his robes. What a weird image. <laughs> That's strange. We get an image of oil poured over the head of a dude with a big beard. And I suffer from acute beard envy. 
uh, every time I see it. And my bearded friends, they tell me about the wonder of beard oil and, you know, all that it does for you. And it's like, it just doesn't help. But the image is not a beard oil here. It's anointing oil. It's a reference back to Exodus 29, where Aaron and his sons are set aside as priests, as they're set aside to mediate between God and his people, as they're set aside to present people to God and God to his people. And the psalmist takes that image and he applies it to the whole community. It's his way of seeing that community is priestly. The unity of God's people serves a priestly function. That when we commit to learning to live together as one, when we learn to live as family, when we learn to live as brothers and sisters in Jesus, our relationships with one another becomes encounters with the living God. We have the privilege and the opportunity to actually represent Jesus to one another. And I want to thank you for doing that for one another. I get to hear story after story, week after week after week, of how you, the people called New Life Downtown, show up as priests in one another's lives. I've gotten to hear all summer from Evan and Karen Riedall as their son William has been in the hospital for now nearly six weeks and getting ready to come home this week. How you have shown up for Evan and Karen and William and Alistair and Owen and cared for them and cared for their family and prayed for them. And I thank you for doing that for us. Over the last couple weeks when we struggled to pray, we leaned on your prayers. When we didn't know what to pray, I prayed the prayers that you wrote on Facebook and sent to me over email. Your prayers reminded me that Jesus is the one who's constantly interceding for us. When we were discouraged and uncertain and un, unknown, like how is this all going to turn out? You shared your stories of how God showed up in your lives and in your crisis and it reminded us that this is a God who redeems all things. When we were worried and stressed, you were generous. You showed up and reminded us of a God who provides. When we were away from our home, you cared for our home. You reminded us that God sees us. When we had to break commitments and miss out on important things in your lives, you reminded us of God's grace. When we couldn't fulfill our commitments and our responsibilities as pastors, the staff and others, you stepped up and said, we've got it reminded us of a God who is more than enough. It's easier to envision the character of God when it's exemplified in his people. It's just easier. And so thank you for being a priestly community to us and to one another. The second image is this. It says, it's like the dew on Mount Hermon streaming down out of the mountains of Zion, onto, onto Zion. This image may be a little bit less odd for us. We have mountains and we love mornings. We see the sun glistening off the dew and the grass. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the region. It's north of Israel, and it's a critical water source for the entire region. Its runoff becomes the Jordan River. The psalmist poetically imagines dew running down off of that mountain, down into Zion, down into Jerusalem, a land that is prone to droughts and where every water source is critical. Dew like rivers and like rain is used symbolically throughout the scriptures. It's described as the dew from heavens, the dew from the Lord that is a life-giving gift. 
It's associated with abundance and prosperity and provision and associated with restoration and renewal. The idea of a new morning, a new day, a new start, something fresh, and the water that we need for the day is already there. Community is not just priestly. Community is restorative. Christian community is the locus of renewal in our lives. It is where the Spirit of God meets us. The church is meant to be a place of recovery, of healing, of freedom, of provision, of flourishing. It's in the midst of God's people that we discover mercy, receive forgiveness, experience grace, and learn to love. But because the church is composed of finite and flawed people, it can also be a place of pain, and disappointment, and discomfort, and even worse. Sometimes it can increase our suffering rather than alleviate it. And the temptation at that point is just to give up on it entirely. But as our friend Rich Velotis says, we are wounded in community and we are healed in community. There is no way around it. <laughs> Healing might not come from the community where the wounding took place, but community is needed for healing nonetheless. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've had your wish dream of community shattered, or even worse, you've been deeply wounded in the presence of God's people. And it took an enormous amount of emotional resolve to even show up today, to risk trying again. I just want to say I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for making the effort to, to be here when it was really hard. And I want to encourage you to keep leaving it, leaning in. And it's okay to go slow. It's okay for that to take time. But I want to encourage you to let the slow be active and not let the slow be passive. To prayerfully consider what's the next right intentional step. Maybe the next step for you is just come back next week. <laughs> Maybe the next step is in a couple of weeks you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to linger a little longer rather than receive communion and sneak out the back. Maybe in a few weeks is to say, I'm going to come to New Life next and just Maybe ask a question about this place. Maybe it's attending an event or a class or signing up for a meal group or joining CR, or volunteering for a team. Whatever that next step is, it's okay to go slow, but be intentional and active in that slow. My prayer for you, my prayer for all of us is that in community, we would find healing. In community, we would find restoration. In community, we find the restoration of our faith when it's been easier to doubt. In community, we find restoration of what has been lost and taken. In, in community, we find restoration of hope even in the midst of our suffering. And most importantly, then in community, we would encounter Jesus. We would encounter him who says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It's what Eleanor reminded us about so beautifully last week. As Sarah and the worship team come forward we remember that it's in community that we encounter Jesus. And the Jesus that we encounter is not a Jesus who is indifferent to our suffering. The Jesus that we encounter is the Jesus who suffered for us. The Jesus who suffers with us. And the Jesus who promises to be with us in our suffering, to meet us in our suffering. Just as he has met us over the last couple of weeks and he has met us over and over and over again through you, Jesus, who is our great high priest, Jesus, who reveals 
fully and truly what God is like. If we're wondering who is God and what is God like, we're encouraged to look to Jesus, Jesus who restores us to God, and Jesus who restores us to one another, and Jesus who invites us to his table to meet him and to find that over the course of the days and weeks and months and years, that as we eat with him and as we eat with one another, we're made whole in his image because his grace and his spirit meet us over and over and over again. Friends, Jesus is the host of this table and we are the loved and invited guests. All who want to receive from Jesus, who want to trust him as the true king of the world are, are welcome to receive communion this morning regardless of your church affiliation or your background. If that's not you, if you're not ready to be the guest at this table that Jesus is inviting you to be. Thank you. Thank you for coming this morning. We invite you to continue coming, to continue being curious about who Jesus is and what Jesus offers to this world. But if you are ready to say yes to Jesus's invitation to trust him completely, we invite you to join us as we begin at the table this morning by confessing our sin with a prayer that's gonna be on the screen, we're asking for mercy, we're asking for forgiveness, and we're placing our trust in Jesus for our salvation. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I or anyone else would say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And this is what proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you please stand and take a minute to greet those around you to share the peace that you have in Jesus with one another. Friends, Jesus is here. 
lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is, it's a good, it's a joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, because you formed us and you're imaged and you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son Jesus to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it. He offered it to his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. And so God, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance, and it's a place of encounter. Let's sing this prayer this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us here. Friends, these are the gifts of God, and they're given to us, the people of God. So receive them remembering that Jesus died for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. I'm going to invite the servers to come up now. If this is your first time here, there's a QR code that you can scan that has communion instructions on it. Or you can just look around and see what everybody else is doing. If you are unable to come forward to receive, please just ask someone near you to bring the elements back to you. Let's worship together as we come to the table. Far beyond what eyes could 
paint a canvas with a million stars. Still, he holds my heart. Now, Father, inherit the light salvation. Oh, how good is he? The breath almighty before behind.
did another thing for me is all I'll ever need. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to
Praise God for 